You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. I think it's true to say that sometimes when we look at our Bibles, we see and read about people who are mentioned in its pages as those who we might consider to be superheroes. Take, for example, Moses, who was called by God to basically lead a million people from the work camps of Egypt in the direction of the Promised Land. Or we think of Daniel, the young teenager who was captured by uh, the forces of the Babylonian Empire and assimilated into the palace, and there at one stage had to stand up against what the emperor of Babylon wanted him to do. Or you have Joseph, who was taken as a slave into Egypt and eventually moved as one from, we could say, a story of rags to riches. Uh, and so there are so many people who are, are the real heroes of the Bible. But yet, when we look also at the Bible, we discover there are a multitude of other people who we wouldn't put into that category at all. People who are just ordinary individuals, just like you and me. And many of those ordinary individuals, I would suggest to you, can be found in the apostolic band of the 12 disciples whom Jesus originally called. Because they were people who made mistakes and did things that at times were inappropriate. People who fell asleep in the garden when they should have been awake. People who blocked mothers bringing their children to see Jesus. People who didn't understand, despite the fact that on many occasions Jesus talked about establishing his kingdom, and they thought that the kingdom that he was talking about was some sort of a kingdom that could be measured with territorial boundaries, and that sometime in the future that they would govern with Jesus within that political structure. Or or people, for example, who misunderstood uh, a man who was blind, and they thought that the reason for his blindness was a consequence of the sins of his parents. And so we have a whole lot of people uh, in the scriptures, and particularly even in the apostolic band, who, for example, even arrogantly boasted that they would never forsake Jesus. But when the time came, and when he was taken, and when he was crucified on the cross, they scattered here, there, and yonder. And the disciples were anything but what we might call supermen. They had weaknesses and failures like you and me. And for a few moments this morning, I want us to look at one of these disciples whom we read about, Matthew, the tax collector. In the gospel that bears his name, Matthew is the one who refers to himself as a publican. In the other gospels, when the other writers are writing about him, they're more generous in their description of him and don't talk about this contemptible position that he held in life. But basically, as far as Matthew was concerned by saying that he was a publican, he basically was saying, I couldn't have been involved in a more despicable business. His social status in those days was equivalent to what we would probably assume today to be a drug dealer. Tax collectors were divided into two groups. There were those who taxed people on particular uh, types of material or particular foods like fruit or wine, or or different foods. And then there was the second category of tax collector, which Matthew fell into, and he had his own little tax booth on the main Jerusalem-Damascus road. And there he could just stop anybody, and he could tax them on basically anything that he wanted. 
Previously, he had got involved with the Roman government and he had uh, bought from them what would be called a franchise. And because he had this franchise and he paid the government a certain amount of money every year, then he would be able to basically collect whatever he wanted from those unsuspecting individuals who traveled along the road and packed uh, past his tax booth. And so we could say that greed and craft and fraud and extortion and corruption was all in the wake of Matthew's activity. And so disreputable were these tax collectors that they were shunned by the respectable people of society. They were disqualified from being witnesses in a court of law. They were viewed in many ways as common criminals and they were refused entry into the synagogues. And attracted by the gleam of gold, Matthew, as it were, sold his conscience in an attempt to satisfy his insatiable desire to accumulate more and more possessions. And his love of money was surely his besetting sin. And here we have Jesus walking along, passing the tax booth, basically putting his hand in Matthew and saying, follow me, I want you to be my disciple. I have a sort of a, maybe a strange sense of humor, but I think that's quite remarkable. I think it's remarkable because so often when we look at people, we say, oh, well, you know, they're beyond the pale of redemption. They could never be anything for God. I remember uh, a number of years ago, uh, one of my responsibilities for the wider church was to interview people who were going to be uh, accredited preachers. These people applied, and then if they were got through the application process, they went and they trained to be these accredited preachers who could go around our church and preach. And on one occasion, we were interviewing a number of people, and this wee man came in. He wasn't all that well dressed, not that that mattered, but he plunked himself down at the other side of the table in front of us, and he threw down a magazine which he opened uh, at the middle pages. It was actually a Gideon magazine. And he basically, before anybody had a chance to draw their breath and say anything and even welcome him, he said, this is me. And I lifted the magazine and uh, there was a wee title at the top of the, of the article and it was entitled, Drunken Sailor Saved in Spanish Jail. And I thought, well, this wee man must sort of feel he's like this uh, person in the article, but it became very apparent that he was the actual person who the article was written about. He had been involved in some drunken brawl, having gone off a ship in uh, Spain. He had been arrested, he'd been put into jail, and for some reason or another, when he got up in the morning, there was a copy of a Gideon Bible in the English language in the jail, and he read it, and he was instantly converted. And he wanted to, to become an accredited preacher of the church. Now, we interviewed the wee man, and at, when, at the end, when, when he went out, everybody went, what are we going to do? Well, they did the right thing. They accepted him. And they accepted him, not that he would preach in every Presbyterian church in the country, because certain churches wouldn't have had him within the bagels, go to the places people would talk about. But there were churches where that wee man could go and he could make a tremendous impact by, for God through the testimony that he had 
and through his apparent new understanding of the Scriptures. You see, as Jesus walked through that particular area at that time, even though Matthew was who he claimed to be and who everybody knew him to be, nevertheless, Jesus was able to penetrate through that exterior and what people thought about him, and he knew that he could be used in his service. And therefore, we've got to applaud the fact that Jesus is prepared to call anybody. So we have Matthew's disposition. But we have here, as we will see now, we have his gracious call. Capernaum was the headquarters for uh, Jesus at that particular time. He'd been brought up, as you know, after he had uh, been born. He went to live for a period of time in Nazareth. There he was brought up. And then he went to Capernaum, and that became a sort of a, a center from where he moved out in his ministry in those early days. And in Capernaum, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And as a result of that, people started to gather and come around him, and there was a whole crowd of people that had come to see what he was going to say and also what he was going to do. And then there was that incident that we read about where there was a man brought and he was needed to be healed. Uh, he wasn't able to walk. And uh, one of the other Gospels tells us about uh, them uncovering the, the roof uh, and, and this wee man had uh, been lowered down to Jesus' feet and Jesus healing him. And I'm sure Matthew knew all about that because tongues would have clattered. People were the same the world over. If something like that sort of thing happened in in Macrofeld, that would be the talk of the town, and the women's hairdressers and the men's put, you know, the, 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 the men's factory or wherever you happen to go, people would be clattering and talking uh, uh, about this. And as far as Jesus was concerned, he simply said to Matthew, follow me, and Matthew responded. And Matthew's choice by Jesus would initially and did initially appear to be a bad public relations exercise on the part of Jesus. But nevertheless, we see that Matthew was on the list with Andrew and Peter and James and John and Philip and all the rest of the disciples. There was a famous evangelist called D.L. Moody, and he had a friend called Ira Sankey, and Ira Sankey was a tax collector. But D.L. Moody wanted Ira Sankey, who was a good singer as well, to be part of his evangelistic team. And he, on a number of occasions, went to this man and said, look, we need you to help. But he refused initially to do that. And then eventually, he left the tax collecting business. And there are many people in a bygone generation can thank God for the ministry of what was became known as Moody and Sankey and all the things that they did and the implications that they had. You see, God laid his hand upon Matthew. God laid his hand upon Ira Sankey, D.L. Moody, whoever else you want to put. And he had a work for them to do. God's providence was displayed in Matthew's life on that day when Jesus said to him, follow me. What is God's providence? Because it affects you and me. 
One of the catechisms puts it like this, that the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven and earth and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yes, all things, come not by chance but by his fatherly hand. Matthew's encounter with Jesus on that particular day was not a consequence of chance. The fact that you are where you are just now is not a result of chance. You're here today because this is where God wants you to be today. And he has a purpose for you being here today. If you're a Christian, his purpose will be, well, we'll talk about that in a moment or two. But if you're not a Christian, surely his purpose is to underscore to you that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what background you've come from, it doesn't matter what sin you've been involved in, that you're acceptable to him. And this is illustrated in Jesus' call of Matthew, that there's none of us are beyond the scope of his redemption. And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, as Jesus Christ calls us, to salvation have we responded but you may ask yourself the question but how do I know that God is speaking to me the answer to that is relatively simple that as you sit in church this morning as you listen to what has been said you either say to yourself yeah I'm not a Christian but yeah what's been said is right and if that is the case, then that is God speaking to you, encouraging you in your soul, having acknowledged that it's right to respond to it. We have Matthew's call. Thirdly, we have Matthew's generous feast. After responding to the call of Jesus, notice what happened very soon afterwards. We read that while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Luke 5 and verse 29 gives a similar account. And no doubt the dinner would have been relatively lavish, recognizing the background financially of uh, Matthew. And we read that many guests were in his house. What was the purpose of this dinner? Well, Matthew was possibly celebrating a new life. He was saying goodbye to the old life. He was giving public notice of a new identification that he had. He wanted to witness to his old cronies. And if he had invited pious people, they may not have attended. But he asked the public and sinners and a multitude of other social outcasts 
possibly the well-dressed and the greedy and the money-grabbers would have been there as well. And just as Andrew brought Peter and as Philip brought Nathaniel, so Matthew, we discover, had a strategy over a meal to bring a certain group of people in order that they may be hearing what Jesus had to say. And as a new believer, what was Matthew doing? He had one idea in his mind and one focus before him. He wanted to make sure that others came into the new life that he had experienced. He had a new relationship with Jesus Christ because of who he was, because of what he saw and what Jesus Christ could do, and therefore he wanted others to share that relationship as well. And they had that meal. And surely, as we think about this, really, Matthew is, in one sense, uh, a forerunner of what I suppose in more recent times has been described as friendship evangelism, where so often people can be encouraged with a meal and chat over things at a meal. So we have Matthew's generous feast. And then the fourth thing is we see Matthew's literary ability. The average person in Matthew's day could not do what Matthew did. Uh, Matthew was a person who, as a tax collector, would have been very much involved as we would maybe call him a pen pusher. And he worked well with figures and he could work out things very well. And remember what happened after he was converted. And as time went on, what did he do? Well, he wrote a record of the life of Jesus, the first gospel. And what do we read in the first gospel? The first chapter of Matthew, what do we have? We have the detail that Matthew would be involved in. The detail of figures is in a slightly different form. It's the detail of the genealogy of Jesus. And he was able to work out, as it were, nearly mathematically, down through the generations, who Jesus grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, right away back for a succeeding number of generations. And not only did he write about that, but you remember he gave an account in his gospel of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. He, he gave a, an account of the sermon on what Jesus meant when he talked about he was going to establish a kingdom, and he wrote quite a number and repeated in the gospel quite a number of the parables that Jesus taught. And Matthew, in some respects today, was the forerunner of a great train of people who have used their writing ability in order to communicate the gospel in, a, in an understandable way. So that was one thing that he did, along with what I've said earlier about his feast. The story is told about a church in New York, and it was situated in an area where there were a number of street people, and they decided that they were going to hold a banquet, and they invited all sorts of people to come along. And as a result, people came along, and those who had some means within the church were able to provide the food that was necessary in order to give to these people. And at the end of the meal, the pastor got up, and he presented the message of the gospel, and 25 people were converted, and most of them have gone on. You see, Matthew's uh, dinner strategy can be repeated, and also Matthew's literary ability 
has been repeated by many people who have written books that have been helpful and encouraging to us as Christians. The point I'm making is this, that Matthew used the gifts and the abilities that God had given to him in order to advance his kingdom. It's probably not going to call most of you to be writers. It's probably not maybe going to call most of you to be uh, hosting uh, big dinners. But he does call all of us, whoever we are, to use the limited gifts and abilities that we have. It doesn't matter what they are, but each of us have these, and he wants us to use those in his service. Now, of course, we'll immediately say, if I were to start, could come, go to one of you who have never met before, and I would say, well, now what are your gifts? And I don't think I have very many gifts. That's a cop-out. All of us have gifts. And those gifts are very often identified by other people. The church needs maybe a couple of the new Sunday school teachers. There may be somebody come and say to you, so, you know, you have the gift of, of teaching in Sunday school. And that should be, in one sense, God's confirmation of that ability. Now, you have to discern whether the person who comes to you and says you have the gift of teaching in Sunday school... Uh, that, that uh, they want you to be the Sunday school teacher somebody's not going to come to them and say the same and that's their way out but at the end of the day all of us have gifts and we need to use them as Matthew did in the service of the Lord there was Matthew's literary ability there was his generous feast there was his gracious call and his earlier disposition as we gather today, we're not here by chance. What to the Lord is saying to us, as he did to Matthew when he put his hand upon him, basically he said, follow me. Are you following? And like Matthew then, are you serving? Let us pray. Mm -hmm.